So we are in Romans chapter 12, so we are getting to the end. And as Paul always does, he gives us a whole bunch of theology up front, and then he says, here's how you use it, right? So we move from sort of the theoretical to the practical, because all the, all the head knowledge that we have about God and what he's done is great, and it's super important, it's our foundation, but until you start living it out and applying it, it sort of doesn't matter, you know, because we want to make sure our life matches the message that we're believing, our beliefs. And so this part here, what Paul has to do is bring together this church, these two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he has to turn them into Christians. You know, and that's what he's doing every, every place he goes, every church he's found, starts or helps. That's what he's doing because there's two, there's those two groups of people because then the Roman, the Roman Empire, you know, especially because just as, as the Gentiles are pagans, there's a lot of gods in the Roman pantheon at this time, right? So you have all the different people, all the different gods that people would pray to. So he has to work hard just shifting them out of that mindset into saying there's one God, only one God, and he's not Caesar and he's not all these other people you, got, you may pray to like Mars or or, or, or you know, the other people that they have. Um, and so he wants them to be a cohesive team, right? And so think about it. You may, maybe you don't think about it unless you've played sports or maybe in a band or things like that, but think about the teams you've been a part of in your life. And so a lot of times just any job is a team, unless you run your own company and do everything by yourself, up to and including probably delivering the product, you rely on other people. Right? You have a team. Committees, if you've been some part of some kind of planning a party or some other event, it takes teamwork, right? You have to say, look, even a potluck that we have, it's, it's a coordination of like, so we don't all get uh, roast beef or tri-tip or whatever it is. We need to have the salads. We need to have drinks. We need to have chips. We need to have napkins, plates, things like that. It, somebody has to coordinate that to make sure, like, it's great we have all this meat, but we have no forks to use or we don't have anything else, to, like just caveman style at that point, I guess, right? But so we're all a part of teams in our lives. And so families are really our first introduction to teams because your family is a team. And we know that teams, families, jobs, whatever, committees, they don't always work together, do they? Everybody been a part of something that just goes super smooth? No, we're going to have arguments of how you put up the tree, you know, what goes on the Christmas tree, what, where, where things go, right? We, we do that every year, and it's not a bad thing. It's just we have opinions, and people want to have, it, have an idea of what it's supposed to look like. And you can either fight about it, or you can say, all right, you know what? I do like your idea better. Or maybe, you know, and we can all do this. We all do the same thing. Yes, hey, this would be better over here. This would be better over here. And so we all get to play a part. We all get to help decorate, we'll say. And it's not, it's not our, just my idea, your idea, his idea. It's our idea. Right? And so it looks better than what it would be if it was just one person designing it. Now, sometimes there are times when you have to say one person has to be like, this is how we're doing it because that's what it is and it just gets done. Sometimes there are situations that, like that that it just warrants it because maybe it's an emergency, things like that. It has, has to be done. But, you know, as churches... Our teams are voluntary, right? We're not getting paid to sit here and do this. You know, at a job, you get paid to do your job, and, and that's fine. But here, everybody here is a volunteer. We're all here. 
just because we want to be, not because we need to be or want, you know, have to be or this, this is my job. Well, it's my job. But. So I'm the only one knocking. I'm the only one that's not sort of a volunteer. But at the same time, I am a volunteer. Because right? I'm here serving as well. And so it takes time to work these, thing, these things out. And so Paul, again, he spent time talking to the Jews and the Gentiles kind of separately, right? He's, he's kind of talking to both groups of people individually at first. And now he's bringing them back together. So he kind of started here and he's going like a triangle almost coming this way to this point to say, look, I know you were this group or that group, but now you're this other group, right? This church is different. This church is a different setup, right? You were a new team. And again, in, in true Pauline fashion, he's taking this theology, he's bringing this practical level. He's going to say, this is what the church, this is what Christ's church should look like. Like, I know how you've done things in the past as a Jew or a Gentile pagan, but this is how we are going to do things now because we are united by Christ. Or we all have a common theme or a common goal to get through to be this church. And so he's, again, he's working on combining these Jews and Gentiles into Christians, right? And so let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll go through the rest of it as we go. And it's up on the screen. Oh, um, <laughs> um, so let's see. If you go to the side of the Bible where, where it says on the screen, there's a, is there a thing that says like Bible version up on the top? Like kind of the middle top screen, no? All right, well, that's in Greek. So hopefully you have it in your Bible or maybe I can fix it really quick. Because there should be a thing where it says CSB, ESV, LXS or anything on, on the... I had some. I was looking at something the other day. I forgot to change it back on there. All right. So we'll just roll with it. I'll read it. It's all good. You can pretend I'm saying that. Uh, I'm reading it in English. It's in Greek. All right. So here we go. 12.1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, now the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the portion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Right? And so he lists out some things. And so we'll get to the rest of that, the chapter as we go. But you know, Paul is looking at this and saying, here you go. This is what we need to do. And so here's the main idea of this is that your new life in Christ compels you to be more like Jesus every day because we are united with him, right? We are all united with Jesus. And so we are all here to do this one mission, and that mission is to preach the gospel. And so as we change, go from our old selves to our new self, right, we want to be more like Christ. 
that, that goal compels us, it moves us to be more like Jesus, right? We don't just come here because it's a country club. We come here because we are learning how to be Christ-like. That's by going through his word, singing songs that encourage us, do those things because we want to be like him and we're all here for the same purpose. And as Paul talks about it, we all have different gifts, so we all have different purposes as we make this machine go, essentially, right? So the first thing here we are, we need to be united by Christ in four different, re four different places or ways that Paul talks about. So if you look at your outline, the first thing is being united in our, in our mind. And then we'll be united in our purpose. We're united in love. And all of that is because we're united in humility. Right? And so all these are on your... All these are on your bulletin on the back there if you, if you have that. <clears throat> so the first part is united in mind. And so when a group of people get together, in order to be effective, they have to be of one mind. Right? We have to all be the same, going the same direction, or if not, we all split off. And so some of us will walk that way, some will walk that way, some will go that way, and some like, I'm just staying here. Other people are like, I'm going that way. Until somebody can say, this is the way we need to go, right? That's what a leader's job is, and we are all under the leadership of Christ, right? He is our shepherd. He is the one who moves the sheep, and we are the sheep, and he gets us to where we need to go. And so, of course, sometimes it's hard because we don't like where we, where we think we're going or whatever, so we have to be honest. We have to know the goal, and we have to work toward it. Again, that goal of the church is to preach the gospel, Right? We have to spread, spread out Jesus to everybody who needs to hear him. And so Paul reminds the church here in verse 1 that God has provided mercy to each person. Right? We are here because we have been given grace. We have been changed by the grace of God. So we have been given mercy by him. And so Paul is writing to each person telling them that. Right? Everybody who hears this is like, oh yeah, that's right. God has sacrificed so much for them that each of them can sacrifice their own wants and desires on the altar in order to please God. Because, right, I may want to go that way, but God says go this way, so we need to go that way. No matter what's over there, no matter how bad I want it, maybe we'll get over there eventually, but God says this way is the, is the way for now, so let's go there. And we all say, amen, right? Okay, great, let's do it. Because what this is, is we can't pay God back for his gift, right? We know that. No, no amount of anything that we have in our possession can pay back God for the sacrifice of his son. But we can sacrifice ourselves by changing our thoughts of the world, right? The things we think about during the, in the world or about the world, we think about him, right? We change that, our minds to say, I want to think about what God wants. And again, that helps us move to change direction to say, okay, this is where we're going. And if we're all doing that, each of us thinks about God and what he's done for us individually. It brings all of our minds into line with what God wants. And we have to be careful, of course, to say, well, God told me that we should do this or that, right? Because that's some kind of almost irrefutable, oh, well, God, if God told you, then well, we got to do it. Because if it doesn't line up with what the Bible says, there's a good chance that that's not really not what God is saying. And people are just using that as an excuse. Right? I don't feel called to do this or that. You know, I don't feel called to be here or there. You know, sometimes we use that because we want to use it as an excuse. And, and God may be saying, that's not what I'm saying at all. Right? And he'll work that out through you, with you. and you know, There may be some times of trouble there for that. But you know, he knows when you're lying and other people will figure it out too. 
Because this idea of changing our minds or sacrificing things that we want for somebody else or something else is not natural for many people because we are all on some level selfish. Right? At some level, we want things that we need to have because we think we need to have it. But Paul is urging us, right? He says, I'm urging you in verse, the back half of verse 1, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so this word, the parakaleo, says I urge, it has a kind of a wide range that the experts say it says to call to one side, to exhort, to implore, to encourage, right? He's encouraging us to do this. He's not begging us. He's not ordering us. He's encouraging us. So this is the way I've seen it. And this is the way I encourage you to go as well. So, so theologian named Cranfield says that it's a technical term for Christian exhortation, which he defines as the earnest appeal based on the gospel to those who are already believers to live consistently within the gospel that they have received, right? That is our motivation to change our mind is because we have been changed. We have been changed by the gospel. So this is what we want to do and live consistently with what the message is. Right? We know that Christ sacrificed for us, and if we're going to be Christ-like, that's number one on the stop. If we want to be like Christ, we have to sacrifice things. And so this metaphor, though, is, is, is Paul is talking about because he's talking to the Jews and also the Romans. The Roman system is also full of sacrifices. They have burnt offerings. They have things. A lot of times people would have altars in their homes for this God, whatever their house God was. And they would say, I, I need some money or, hey, I, you know. I want to win the lottery, whatever, and I would pray. They would pray to whatever God, and they would give whatever offerings they had to give. You know, just right in their house. So everybody understands, in Paul's day, everybody understands what this sacrificial system is. But the Jews, for them, it's definitely the Old Testament, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Like, go kill a pigeon, go kill a bull, go kill a ram, whatever it is, to do whatever you need to do. But here he's saying that believers are exhorted to make a decisive dedication of themselves as worshipers stepping forward to place their offerings on the altar. Right? So no longer are you sacrificing something else, but you're sacrificing yourself. Right? It used to be you go by the pigeon, you go by the bull, you go by whatever it is, the lamb, the sheep. And that's your sacrifice, and you only have to fork over some money for that. But now you're... You have a little more skin in the game, right? You have to sacrifice yourself, essentially. Say, I, I want this, but I want A, but I'm going to do B. Because this is what God requires of me. Right? Because the sacrifice of the new order does not constitute into the taking, taking the lives of others, as F.F. F. Bruce says, like the ancient animal sacrifice, but in giving one's own. And he's talking about the life, right? We are giving our own life up. And again, this giving of someone else's life has already been fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus has already done that. He has closed up the Old Testament system. He's, he's finished it. He's the final sacrifice that makes everything correct for us. We are made right. We are united by Christ's blood. We're united to God through Christ's blood. And so what does the mind of God look like? What are we sacrificing? And so when I was looking through this, for, for the, doing the research for this, so Psalm 37 gives us an excellent look into how we can shift our mindset to think about God and look at things from his point of view. So write it down. We're going to look at some of the verses here on the screens. Well, actually, because we need to change it. But, <laughs> um, but just write down Psalm 37, and I'll make sure I, I go slow with the verses if it shows up in Greek again. <clears throat> so the first thing we need to do is we need to be concerned with what you do. Don't be concerned about others. So Psalm 37, 1 says, Do not be agitated by evildoers, and do not envy those who do wrong. 
And so the world is full of craziness and evil, right? We see this on the news. We see it all over the place and say, man, how can that happen? What, what can that be? Why is this going on? How, how do people get away with things when people who are God-fearing, maybe people you know, people you see that, that die too early, we'll, we, we consider that, right? We say, oh, they died too early. And so, right, we're like, well, that's losing, right? So why do they lose when the other people who are evil, quote, quote, clearly evil, they're winning? Well, the psalmist tells us, don't be worried about it. Don't be worried about what's going on there, what they do. Be concerned with what you're doing. Right? Don't envy them. And so we see all these injustices. We have to do the second thing is we have to trust God. So when all this stuff is going out of control, Psalm 37, 3 and 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and, and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Right? We, we see this going on, but we don't, we don't know why it is, right? And we get worried. But why do we go out to eat? Why do you guys? Why do we all go out to eat sometimes? Because we don't want to have to worry about cooking and cleaning, right? I don't feel like cooking and cleaning, so I'm going to go buy food. Somebody else does it. Well, this is it. Because somebody else is doing the work, you don't have to worry about the world and how it's running. Is because you're not in charge of it. It's not your circus. Yes, you're in the circus. I get it. But you're not running the circus. God is in charge of it. And so we trust God. And as we're in the circus, we know we have to kind of wait. And so the, this next part for Psalm 37, 7 is that we need to be silent and wait on God. And so Psalm 37, 7 says, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated. This is a reminder to kind of the back of the first point. Don't be agitated by one who prospers in his way by the person who carries out evil plans. God will work everything out in the end. He will work all that out. And so we just need to wait on God for that justice to be served completely. And we're going to talk, Paul gets to that later at the end of this chapter, actually about that same thing, actually. In Psalm 37, 8, we move to the next, the last point for this is we need to be calm. We need to be calm. Psalm 37, 8. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Don't be agitated, right? We've said don't be agitated like three or four times just in this, these few verses. Don't be agitated. Listen, it can only bring harm. Now, I'm sort of high-strung. I, I can go from zero to 60 pretty quickly. Um, so this is for me, right? Other times I'm pretty calm, but sometimes things get, it's, it's one of my buttons, whatever, certain things, so I can get very angry very quickly, right? So, and we probably all have the buttons that make us angry about whatever, whatever the things are, whatever our buttons are. But we need to learn to be calm about all of it. Just let it come. Let it go. And God will take care of it. Because what happens when you get angry? Your blood pressure goes up. You say things you're not, you probably shouldn't say. Right? All you're doing is harming yourself and your relationships, whatever they are, or whatever's going on. Right? So be calm and think about, let God handle things. We can help each other think about God, right? So as we're doing those things, we're thinking about God and how he thinks we're, we're changing our mindsets. So now things that would maybe upset us, right? We're not. We're not upset because we're moving our brain, our minds toward God. And when we're all united in, in our mind as a church, we become united. And so we move as one, right? I kind of joked, I think, before about a lot of the business meetings for a while, for the first few, few years, everybody just agreed to everything. 
I wanted to vote no on some things just to have somebody vote no. Not just because I not because I disagree with it, just because I figured we should probably have somebody say no. Right? But but, it, but I also look back and go, that's good because we all had a purpose. We all were going the same direction. Right? And then we do have, you know, there are certain things that we do talk about and people disagree, and that's also very good because we want to make sure, right, we're asking questions, we're not just blindly doing whatever, but we are still looking for the purpose because most of the time I think that we are united in God's purpose. So we're asking how does this get us down to that purpose? Right? And so we're united in our mind because we are united in purpose. That's the second set of verses, verses 4 through 8. <clears throat> and so Paul says in verse 4, Now as we have many parts of one body and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are, as, are many are, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. And he lists them out. If it's prophecy, use the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If it's teaching, then teach. If exhortation, then, then, then exhort people. If you're going to give, give generously. If you're going to lead, lead with diligence. And then if you're going to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Right? Do these things because how different would the church look like if we were all preachers? It would probably be kind of weird. Because there'd be nobody here to play music, there'd be nobody to, to greet people, there'd be nobody to keep track of the paperwork. The church, we may have a super good preaching ministry, but the, whole, the rest of the church wouldn't be doing what it's supposed to be doing because there's other functions that have to happen. Just like if you had a lot of eyes, what would you look like? Weird. And you're all, all your eyes would be going in the same place, try to go different places. You're, you wouldn't know how to walk. Right, or imagine if you had a bunch of legs. You could, you could probably run real fast, but you might look really weird doing it, right? So God, God has, has designed our bodies for purposes. And he has designed his body of the church for the same thing. So we have people who preach, people who teach, people who uh, give cheerfully, people who are good leaders, people who are good encouragers. Right? We have all these people that do these things because it's all for one mission. It's all one purpose. <coughs> right? Because... Paul uses the, the, the idea of a body because why? Because it's the best example because we all have one. And if you have a missing limb or you can't hear, you, 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 you wake up too much, too creaky, too crunchy, yeah, you realize it, how what happens when your body starts to break down. If your knee starts giving out, it's hard to walk, right? So if our church has a knee problem, we need to figure out how to give it surgery and help fix it so we can walk. Right? And so this is the easy... It's an easy um, example, and without with videos and things like that, we can people know it. And so, in verse five, he Paul wants to make sure that the church knows that each person is united with Christ. Listen, and they are also united to each other. Right? We are united to each other under Christ as well, because we're here in the church. Just like your body is united, right? Your hand, your fingers are attached to your hand. Your hands are attached to your arm. Your arms are attached to your shoulder and your chest and everything else. Right? It all moves together. And again, if something happens. Your elbows, your knees, your shoulders. If you hurt, you hurt one of those, you know it, and you know what happens. You can't move very well. Right? So it's the same thing. When the church is hurting, we have people we need to figure out who, how to fix it. And so each of us is different. We know that. That's good, and it's good to be different. It's okay to have differences, and we, have, and we all have gifts. But all of these gifts are given through God's mercy, right? God doesn't expect us to be freeloaders. When he brings us all, when he quote-unquote hires us, He's not saying, like, yeah, you can just hang out on the couch. No big deal. We'll all do the rest of the work. He's like, welcome to the team. Here's your job. 
here's what you're going to do, right? You're going to use this and you're going to work for me and you're going to do this because he wants us to work. He has equipped us for a purpose. And so we teach, we preach, we evangelize, we, we lead, we administrate, we do hospitality, right? We do these different things that the church needs. And so one final gift, though, is, is that Paul mentions is showing mercy. And so this is kind of an important thing when I was looking stuff up. And so the, the, this commentator says this would include such helpful activities as feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, caring for the aging. And so these are to be done cheerfully, right? That's what Paul is saying here is like all these things, this is how you do them, not just the fact that you show up like I'm here to feed you. You're like, hey, I'm here with meals for you. Let's go. Here, what do you want, right? You know, chicken, beef, vegetarian, you know, whatever you want. You do it happily. Because those people you're helping out, they already have enough problems. They don't want, they don't want to be surrounded by somebody else with more problems. Like, well, you're a gloomy Gus. Like, I don't know if I want to come here and hang out with you because I'm already bummed out. I need somebody to be happy. So we give this stuff, we cheerfully, they, they, they have no need of helpers who carry out their obligation as if it were crushing burdens. Like, oh, here's your food. Oh, my God. Just get out of here. Hurry up. I want to go home. Right? And we all have days like that. I get that. You know, I know that. But at the same time, we, as Christians, we should be cheerful, more cheerful than other people, perhaps. Because we have been given a new chance, right? But here's what we do. What do we do with these gifts? How do we use them? How do we know what we have them even, right? So one, learn what your gift is. Or gifts, right? You may have more. You can have more than one. But learn what your gift is. And this may take some time and trial and error. You, maybe you try out different things. Maybe you know automatically. You might, like, the playing music isn't necessarily a biblical gift in here, but I, I still think it is. Because honestly, you are somewhat teaching through music as well if, you, if we pick the right songs. Um, so you may say, look, I'm not a guitar player. I'm not a singer. I'm not a whatever. So, but you may be a good singer. You just don't have the confidence, right? So maybe you just need to sing. Maybe you need to teach. Maybe you need to do things, right? Whatever it is, learn it. Figure it out. And then the next thing is we need to practice it. Right? Practice makes perfect. In short, use your gifts. It's no good. And really, I think you're stealing from God if he's given you a gift and you want to keep it you know, in your bedroom or in your closet or wherever it is you keep it in your car. Use it. And as you're using it, as you gain more knowledge, the third thing is to pass on your knowledge. As you grow up in the church, you're eventually going to become the expert. You're eventually going to be the one who knows more. You have responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. So here's how we do it. Here's the theology. Here's how the Bible works. Here's this, here's that, whatever it is. Here's how we administrate the church. Here's where the paperwork goes. Here's how you do the, the whatevers. Here's how you cut the grass. Here's how you do all these things. And you pass it on to the next person. So one, you're not stuck doing it all the time. That's important so you don't get burned out. But two... Also, so the church doesn't die when some people leave, right? Because that's the thing is, is when you look at it, because Paul is writing, and so depending on when this was written, this may be one of the latter, the latter letters that Paul has written. You know, when you read Titus and Timothy, especially, he knows that's pretty much it. So he, he's prepared to say, look, I know I'm going to die, and I need to pass all this information to you guys. You're the younger generation. You're the next people coming up. And that's what keeps the church going. That's what the church has survived for 2,000 years. That's why Judaism has survived longer because they have the book, they have the words, they know, they teach it. They teach it to their children, their children teach it to their children. 
And we, all, we do all of this, we use all of these gifts because we're united in love. And Paul was united in love with his churches and his fellow Christians. So that's what we are to be next, is united in love. So verses 9 through 15, right, it sort of seems like a little bit of a hodgepodge if you read it. There's kind of like, these are just sort of like extra rules you just stuck in here and they just sort of fit or don't fit, but they just went together. But really, they're tied together with the thread that is love. Right, so verses 9 through 15, Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply and as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So all those are pretty self-explanatory, but to kind of boil it down, one, we need to love deeply. Right? Love deeply. The second one is we serve with love. The third thing is we share with love. Right? Give it, give things that you don't have, or maybe you don't need, or maybe it's your last thing, but give it to somebody else who needs it more than you do. Right? Take the lead in honoring one another. Right? That's, you're, you're loving somebody else to say, here you go. And you don't need, you're not waiting to be told. You're just saying, I recognize a problem here. Here, I'm sharing with you. And in love without condition, there's no, there's no like, well, I'm going to give you my last cracker so I get your last cracker later. Or I, I can come borrow a steak. You know, because sometimes, sometimes that's how people work. Like, well, I'll give you this and make sure I can hold it over your head as a favor next time. That's why some people hate doing favors because they don't want to be owed anything. They don't want to owe anybody. Right? And so we have to do these things in love without you say, look, here's my last whatever. Or here's just a shirt or whatever it is you need. I don't expect anything in return. Just give it away and who cares? Right? I'm, I may never ever see you again. But so what? You need it more than I do, whatever it is, and, because I love you. As a human being, as one of God's creations, I love you. So here. And I'm not expecting anything in return. And so all of this love is possible, right? Because loving somebody else takes effort. It takes energy. And we do these things and we love deeply and we share, we serve, we, we love without condition. All of this is made possible because we are united in humility. And so, right, even if it's just two people, if you're married, you know that that's the toughest thing sometimes because you, you love them, but you sometimes it's hard to be humble for people because like, look, I want what I want, and it's just too bad. But we have to put it aside, put our sides, put aside our wants and our opinions, whatever it is, because we are here loving somebody else. And so Romans 12, verses 16 through 18, Paul says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. <coughs> Excuse me. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what, do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Right? That's, that's kind of the running joke, right? When you ask Miss America, what's your goal? Like, what do you want most? Oh, I want world peace. I want world peace. I want world peace. Well, where do you start? You start with the person next to you. Right? You live in harmony with one another. So just do it with one person. Right? Because if we're married, you live with one another all the time. So it's hard sometimes because you're living with them and, and sometimes our pride gets in the way. Uh, we, we, we 
sometimes we get petty if we're not careful and we want to repay evil for evil. Well, you did this to me, so I'm going to do that to you. If it's a prank, it's kind of okay, right? But if it's serious stuff, it's not. And so Paul, when he's writing this, he's either aware of what's happening in the church at Rome. He either heard about stuff or whatever, so that's kind of maybe what prompted him to write this letter. Or he just knows people. He's been to a bunch of other churches. He knows what's going on. He's just giving advice to the church to get along. Because again, what is he doing? He's building this team. So say, look, you all need to humble yourselves and come on the same page. And so Paul counsels the church to live in harmony with one another. And so this unity is, is less the result of an accommodation to the other person's point of view than it is the result of arriving, arriving at a mutual understanding of God's way of thinking. Right? We're on the same page. It's not my idea, your idea, his or her idea. It's God's idea. We're doing this for God's point. So how do we move from here to there together because that's where God wants us to be. And so many may say, well, I'm going to take the first step. Well, I think we should go this way. I think we should go that way. Well, no. For somebody needs to figure out and say, okay, we'll go your way. We'll go this way or whatever it is. Because I'm putting my wants aside. I'm putting, they're putting their wants aside. And we're going because we're, we're living in harmony. So the commentator says, like spokes in a wheel that converge at the hub, the closer we are to God, the closer we come to one another. Right, Because if you look at a hut like a wagon wheel, the spokes start out here around the wheel, but they all come down to the point, right? the, the hub. So that's how it works. And you know that distance between these two spokes are smaller. Well, this way, I guess, right? Like that. Well, there we go. It's, still, it's hard to do. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I didn't have a visual for that one. I'm sorry. We don't have to get back at somebody if they hurt us either. Right, that's a sure way to have, have, a, have a, a recipe for disaster if you're trying to get revenge on somebody. A lot of times, people don't even know what they did. They're just, they did whatever, they just, they're moving on, and you're mad about it, stewing and everything else, and you're hoping this person, something bad happened to them. You're, you're hoping what the world calls karma, right? But, but it's God's will, so if something, God's going to take care of whatever happens. And maybe nothing needs to happen. Because right? he's still taking care of it. If something doesn't happen to that person because you were wrong, maybe God doesn't need to do anything. Maybe he'll, he'll take care of it by himself because that's God's will. And that's, that's for him to decide, not you. And we do this, we humble ourselves, we, we get rid of our pride because all of this is to keep evil from conquering you. Because when we give in to pride, we act just like Satan. Right? His... Banishment from heaven, his being kicked out, was because he was prideful. He thought he could be God. He thought he could do it better. Right? And how many times do we think the same thing? If I were in charge of the world, nothing like this would ever happen. Well, good thing you're not in charge. Because you can't handle it. The, the, the movie Bruce Almighty, if you've ever seen it, you know, he's trying to answer prayers and he's just, and they use his email as, as, a, as a vehicle for it. And he just keeps getting a bajillion emails and he can't answer prayers. And he hears all these voices in his head. Like, we're not equipped to do that. God is. And so, pride is get what gets banished, Satan banished from heaven. And pride is what's going to keep others out from God in the end as well. But on the other hand, Jesus is the epitome of humility. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, 8, and 9, he says, 
And God subjected everything under his feet, for in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus, listen, made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Right? Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. He went to the cross for you and me, even though we weren't even around yet. He went on to the cross to die for your people's sins, to purchase us, his people, and he didn't have to do it. Right? He humbled himself. He left heaven. You know, he left the guarded position of heaven. And, you know, he's in charge of the universe. And he came down as a baby. He lived a life. He lived here on earth. Everything that we do, he had to do. And he willingly went to the cross under false pretenses. Right? The, the, the Sanhedrin made up a bunch of stuff about him. And he suffered death, but he is crowned with glory and honor. And so along with Jesus, on the last days, we are going to receive crowns as well. We are going to receive honor because we humbled ourselves. We humbled ourselves to follow God and become like Christ. Right? And so we are all united in humility as we go. And so that means, again, we don't have to do everything one person does. We do what the church wants to do. And again, that's probably partly why we're Baptists, is because it's not just one person making the rules. We decide as a congregation what's going to happen. And so, again, somebody has to, a decision has to be made, but you know, we do it in, in a democratic style where we vote and make sure that the majority will of the people is being done in the church. It's not just, hey, everybody needs to be here next Monday because we're doing the food banking. I don't care what's going on, right? That's, that's one way to approach the church. But I'm guaranteed nobody would show up if I made a decree like that. Just probably, possibly on principle. Like, he's not going to tell me what to do. I don't care who he is. Right? But we leave it up. I leave it up to you guys because it's, you're the church. Right? We are the church. So wrapping it up, right? Humbling ourselves is not a natural thing, but we have to do it if we want to be Christ-like. Because we want to be like Christ. And as Christians, we are united by Christ and with Christ. And our new life has been made possible by Christ, and that should compel us to be less like the world and more like him. And so as we meet every week at this church, we are reminded that we are working in God's kingdom for the purpose of bringing the gospel to the people so that they can hear the word of God and the story of Jesus, right? And that's the story of redemption. And that story of redemption includes you. You have been redeemed. If you're a Christian, you have been redeemed through Jesus' blood. So that's what we're here to do. That is our purpose. Now, how we do it, we get to have, we, we decide that. You know, how we do that as a church and how we do it as individuals as well, but we're all here doing the same thing. And so as we go out this week, right, we spread out across the, the city in our own neighborhoods and whatever else, but we're all here representing Red Oaks, but more importantly, we're representing God. So when you say you're a Christian, people perk up and they're looking for good or bad things about that. All right, so let's show them good things. Let's be humble. Let's love. Let's, let's be united in our purpose, right? So have the band, we'll have the band come up, and we will do our last couple songs.